If you're watching us online this morning, welcome to our 9.30 service today. Uh, whether it's Facebook Live, whether you're watching on our website or the, the Fox Network, we're glad you're joining us today. And our downtown campus is joining us today. God bless you guys. We're so glad you know, you're watching us. Pastor Bill and Anya, God bless you guys and the ministry down there. So we shared this morning in, in one of the ordinances of the church, that is the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, communion. Jesus instituted that. As a, as a symbol of the cross and the restoration and reconciliation that the, that the cross brings. We're going to celebrate the second ordinance in two weeks. That is the ordinance of water baptism. Water baptism is that moment when a person that's made a decision to trust Christ for their salvation, to not believe they're saved by any human work, but saved by faith in Christ alone, to publicly acknowledge that faith. Uh, the, the order of application is pretty clear in Scripture. Repent. Turn from your sin. Put your faith in Christ and then be water baptized. If you've made a decision of faith in Christ but not followed that up since that point in water baptism, the, the ordinance that Jesus instituted, August 29th, you need to do that. Baptism isn't a suggestion. It's a command. And if we want to follow the Lord in His steps... He was water baptized, though he didn't need to be, as an example to us. And so if you need to be water baptized, we, we want to strongly encourage you, August 29th. And when we do water baptisms, this is what happens. I believe in the one true Lord and Savior that died for my sins on a cross and put nails in his hands for me. He is my rescuer, savior, and he gives me joy. How amazing that the God of the universe considers me his precious child. I just want people to know that he is the Lord. Jesus is in this room here right now. Christ has allowed me to be adopted into a new family. Jesus to me is like family. Jesus Christ is my rock and my Lord and Savior. My identity is no longer defined by my past or where I've sinned. Jesus is my Savior. And I know that He's with me, He loves me, and I am His forever. God is my Lord and Savior, and I want the world to know. so I can be with Jesus again. I have faith in God. Throughout the past 23 years, I've had some of the darkest days feeling hopeless and defeated. I chose to run away from His goodness. A year ago, amidst all my anxiety and fear and shortcomings and guilt and shame, I just felt hopeless. Even though I was trying to live for Christ, I hadn't died to myself yet, and I started saying Philippians 1.21 to myself, which is uh, to live as Christ and to die as gain. I'm done living for myself, and I want to be His no matter the cost. 
God has come into the fiery furnace with me and is walking by me step by step. And the only reason I was still breathing was because God had a job and a plan for me to complete before I could spend eternity with Him. every day clinging to the cross that saved me and to the hope that I have for the blood that was shed for my sins. The God we serve is so faithful, forgiving and loving. God. So let me encourage you to surrender yourselves to the teachings of Christ if you've never been water baptized since committing your life to Christ. And here's how you can do it. Uh, you can uh, scan that barcode there or that uh, QR code, and that, you'll get a response to help you get connected. You do need to take a class uh, to help you understand what it means to be water baptized and to be saved in Christ uh, or to have a, a meeting with a pastor to make sure we, you understand that. Or you can text be baptized to that number. Take a picture of that if you'd like here for a second, if you want to get to it later. Love to have you pursue that step of obedience in Christ. Uh, let's pray this morning. God, as now as we open your word, we pray for the, the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit to guide us into truth, to, to unveil truth to us, to reveal truth in our minds and in our hearts that we might apply it, uh, Lord, to see transformation and change in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you have a Bible this morning, turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of John chapter 15. We, we're doing a, a series in the Gospel of John, and, but we're taking three weeks, this is the last week, to focus on John's teaching about prayer. And so we're going to continue our teaching in the Gospel of John about prayer. We'll be in, in John chapter 15 in just a minute. Everyone has something that they have confidence in doing. In other words, there's something that you do well, something that you do with confidence. What is that for you? I've observed many of you up close and personal in, in your lives, and I've, I've seen the confidence with which you go about your jobs and your lives. I've, I've seen some of you police officers and how you carry yourself in that role. I've seen teachers and nurses and doctors. I've seen coaches and athletes and stay-at-home moms, 
Um, last week, my wife, Charlene, and I actually went to the fair and watched a young girl in our church barrel race. Come on, you ever seen barrel racing before? It was awesome. And she was confident that that was something that she did. What do you have confidence in when you do it? I mean, you're not perfect at it, but you feel really good about doing that. Well, let me ask you this. As you think about that area of your life, do you carry the same confidence into prayer? In other words, when you pray, do you believe that God is going to answer your prayer? Do you have confidence when you, when you pray that something's going to happen? Or is there usually more doubt than conviction when you pray? Well, John wants us to know that, that when we pray, we are supposed to have confidence that God's going to answer that prayer. Uh, turn with me to John chapter 15. We're talking today about, about how can we have greater confidence in the place of prayer. John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. There is no spiritual life apart from Jesus Christ. Abide in me. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me, the word abide means to continue, to stay, to be connected with, to remain in. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, here it is, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. There's a qualifier there for ask and you'll receive. It's abide in me and abide in my word, or have my word abide in you. Now skip over to, to the, the end of the Bible. Uh, right before Jude in the book of Revelation, John wrote three letters. We're going to look at, at 1 John, or the first letter that John wrote. 1 John, skip back there, chapter 3. We're going to look in verses 21 and 22. We're talking about how can we have greater confidence when we pray that God is going to answer our prayers. Verse 21 of 1 John chapter 3, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence, there's that word again, confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Skip over a couple chapters to, to 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. This is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. Those verses speak of confidence in prayer. Some qualifiers, abide in me, let my word abide in you, ask whatever you will and, and it'll be done. We have confidence, 1 John 3, 21 and 22 says. We have confidence, 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says. So if you're taking notes this morning, real quickly, I want to share three ways we can have greater confidence when we pray. Confidence that God will answer our prayers. And the first is this. We can have confidence by being connected to Jesus. By being connected to Jesus. Again, first John, uh, Gospel of John, chapter 15 Verse 7, if you remain, continue, stay connected to me and my words remain in you, ask for anything you want and it will, be, it will be granted. If you abide, if you stay connected with me, ask and you'll have what you desire. Uh, there, there's this sense of connecting. Let me, let me ask you this question. 
If there was someone that you knew or you were aware of that had something that you wanted, but you didn't know them, you knew of them, but you didn't know them, what would you need to do? You'd need to find somebody to introduce you. You'd need to find somebody to give you access to them, somebody that could connect you with that person, whether it's for a date, you see a cute guy, cute girl, you're single, you'd like to go out with them. You need somebody to, to hook you up, somebody to connect you, somebody to introduce you to that person in order to ask them out for a date, in order to get into their presence and say, would, would you like to have a relationship? Maybe there's a, a business leader in the community, someone that, that is really successful in the same field that you are in, and you know of them, but you don't know them, and you would like to learn from them, and there's some questions you'd love to ask them over lunch or a cup of coffee, but you don't know them. So you'd need to, to network and find somebody that does know them and say, hey, could you connect us? Could, could you introduce me to them? I, there's some things I'd love to ask. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the only way we have access to God, Jesus alone. There is no other means of introduction. There is no other means of knowing who God is except through Jesus Christ. We need someone to connect us, someone to introduce us. So if we go back in the Gospel of John to chapter 1, we read this in verse 12. But to as many people as receive Jesus, put their faith in Jesus, put their trust in Jesus, all who received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Suddenly, we have, have legal access to God as our Father. Now, God was, was our Father in a, in, a, in a general sense before because he created us but not in a legal and spiritual sense where we could go to him and ask for things. Suddenly, if we put our trust in Christ, we are God's children, meaning we have access to the Father. And then John 14, 6, John says this, I am the way, the only way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one has access to God the Father except through Jesus Christ. There is no way to access him. If he's a king, there's no way to come into the throne room. There's no way to, to be introduced to him apart from Jesus Christ. So the question is, first of all, in terms of confidence in prayer, are you connected to Jesus? Are you connected relationally to him? Because there's, there's no access to God. There's no way you can get to him to ask for your requests in prayer unless you're connected to Christ. I am the way. No one can come to the Father except through me. How can you even get in his presence apart from Jesus Christ? The, the, Solomon's temple in the, in the Old Testament and even in Jesus' day, the, the, the structure of the temple, is a physical example of this spiritual truth. This truth about we only have access to God's presence through Christ. I'm gonna throw a picture up here and, and walk you through the, the, the temple proper here and, and the, the building of the temple. As you see in, in the middle lower section there, there's, there's a wash basin. Now the priests had to go into the temple and serve the Lord and regularly serve his purpose in there. But before they could go in, every time they, they walked into the temple, they had to wash their hands and wash their feet. They had to go through a ceremonial cleansing to walk into the holy place. Up in the upper right-hand corner is the brazen altar or the altar of sacrifice. There were continually animal sacrifices, the shedding of blood that the priest would take the animal, he would slit its throat, drain its blood into a basin, then throw the animal up on top of the, the altar to sacrifice 
that as a means of the remission of sin in the Old Testament. So the priests were continually offering the sacrifice of animals, uh, putting the blood in the altar, and then they would go into the first room in that building, which is called the holy place. Now, there's three pieces of furniture in the holy place. There's the golden lampstand, the altar of incense, and the table where they had fresh bread. And and any of the priests could go, when it was their, their duty, their term, they could go into the holy place and keep the, keep the, the, the lamp lit and keep the, the, the fragrant offering of incense on the altar. They, they kept all of that going and fresh bread on the table. And they could go in there if they had been ceremonially cleansed. But there's an inner room where you see the steps leading into that inner room. Well, that's called the Holy of Holies. And between the, the holy place and the Holy of Holies, there was a curtain called a veil. And that veil separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies. And, and every priest couldn't go past the curtain, past the veil, into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and he could only go in there one day out of the year, the Day of Atonement, when he would take the blood of animals into the Holy of Holies and pour it on the mercy seat. Now, there's only one piece of furniture in the Holy of Holies. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant symbolized the very presence of God. The, the, the mercy seat, which was the lid of this chest, which was the Ark of the Covenant, the, the wings of the angels, the cherubim, extended upward, forming the look of a throne. In fact, the, the mercy seat was called the throne of God. It was where God dwelt in the Old Testament. And so the high priest would go in there and he would meet with God. There, that's where he would encounter God, in this, in this holy place. You couldn't go in there unless you had been, excuse me, been ceremonially cleansed. The, the high priest had to be clean to go into the presence of a holy God to meet with him. So what happened at the cross is the veil or the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, that veil was torn by God. Let's read Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 and 51. Jesus on the cross, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Jesus died, and at that moment, behold, the veil of the temple, the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. That symbolizes the fact that the the holy of holies was now open to humanity because Jesus had died to give us access. Come on, somebody. We could now enter the most holy place. We could now walk into the holy of holies and have communion and intimacy with God, which no one in the Old Testament could do except the high priest. Amen. Here's what what it says, how it explains it in Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Christian brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, there's that word again, confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil or the curtain, which is what? His flesh. The curtain simply represented the flesh of Jesus that was torn on the cross, died on the cross, that gave us access into the holy presence of God. And since we have a great high priest, Jesus, over the house of God, let's approach God with sincere hearts in full assurance of faith or confidence We can approach God now with confidence because of Christ, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
Before Christ, we didn't have access into the holy presence of God. But now, because of the blood of Christ shed on the cross, which washes away all of our sin, and the fact that Jesus gives us the robe of his righteousness, we don't walk into the holy place with our own stained righteousness and stained robe, but with the blameless robe of Jesus Christ. That's why we have access. You don't walk into God's presence on your own. You walk humbly in the righteousness of Jesus. We we sang that song about the veil this morning. The next time you sing a song about the veil being torn, understand what it means. Because of Christ, I can come into the very holy presence of God and make my requests. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, let us come with confidence, boldness to the throne of God of grace to receive mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. We come boldly or confidently because of Christ. So the first means of confidence in prayer is are you connected to Jesus? And because of Christ, can you come into the very presence of God and make your requests to a father that wants to extend grace and mercy into your lives? The second means of of confidence is is being aligned with Scripture. Confidence in prayer is, is our, are our prayers being aligned with Scripture? Is Scripture forming our prayer? So again, John chapter 15, verse 7 says, if you remain in me, connected to me, and my words, that's the word of Scripture, the words of Jesus, my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Two qualifiers. Number one, we're connected to Christ. We remain in Christ relationally. Two, his word abides in us. That means that that, that we read his word, we study his word, we memorize his word, so that when we come to the place of prayer, his word is fashioning and shaping our prayers. Let's go to uh, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence, the boldness that we have before him. If we ask anything according to his what? To his will. He hears us and we know that if, we hear, if he hears us in whatever we ask, we have the request which we've asked of him. We have confidence or boldness in the place of prayer when we pray according to his will. Well, what is his will? How do we know his will? His will is expressed in his word, in the scriptures, It's the promises of God, the commands of God, the teachings of God in Scripture. That's his inspired word. That's truth. So we need to align our prayers with the truth of God and and the promises of God in our lives. Do you align your prayer? I love what, what D.A. Carson said about this. He's a New Testament scholar. He said, just as God's word must reform our theology, our ethics, and our practices so it must also reform our prayer. Amen? So so Scripture is supposed to change the way we live, our ethics, what we believe, our theology, but it's also supposed to affect the way we pray. If my words abide in you, if my words form and fashion and shape your prayer, there's a pretty good chance what you're praying is going to be in line with the, the will of God. For your life. John Piper says this where the mind isn't brimming with the Bible, the heart isn't generally brimming with prayer. I love that. Where the mind isn't brimming and overflowing with the Bible, the the heart probably isn't overflowing with prayer. And somebody said this when, when when we pray the scriptures, the Spirit's fire ignites our souls. I don't know who said that, somebody said that. 
When we pray the scriptures, the Holy Spirit ignites our prayer, ignites our prayer. So I do a morning uh, online prayer thing from, from 8 o'clock in the morning till about 8, 10, or 8, 15 in the morning. Some of you, you join me for that. Um, and and some, some people have commented to me and said, Jeff, I just, I love your energy so early in the morning, but you're, you're really passionate about it. I said, I don't wake up that way. I'm just like you. I get up and I, I you know, I get, get ready for my day and then I get into the place of prayer and, and, and I'm there early. I'm reading the scriptures and I'm studying the scriptures and I'm going to be teaching that morning meditating on, on them, thinking about them. And if you watch it long enough, you'll notice that, that most of what I pray is Scripture. Most, most of what I pray is the Word of God. And, and as, I'm, as, I'm, as I begin to pray the Word of God, I mean the Holy Spirit ignites His fire in my soul. There's something about praying the, the very breath of God, the, the inspired Word of God. It's like the Holy Spirit begins to speak through me. And the Holy Spirit will pray through you when you pray the Scriptures. Man, begin in the Psalms or, or somewhere. Get the scriptures out when you get up in the morning. Psalm 1, begin to read that and then begin to pray it into your life. You'll find a new life, a new energy, a new joy, a new freedom as you pray when you align your prayer with the Word of God. That's what gives us confidence. Not, not willy-nilly, whatever I want. Gee, God, I hope that you do this in my life. No, this is, God, what you said. When we pray the scriptures, we're simply, we're simply praying the promises of God for our lives. All of the men and women in scripture, when you, when you read the prayers of scripture, most of them at some point in the prayer quote a verse of the Bible. It's amazing when, when you start studying prayer in the Bible. You'll see that they're, they're referencing something God said at another point. Nehemiah is an example, Nehemiah chapter 1. Verses 8 and 9, Nehemiah was responsible for bringing the children of Israel out of Babylon, out of captivity, back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls around the temple and to restore the city. So he's praying and he says, he says remember. What does that word say? What does it say? Remember. God, remember. What is Nehemiah asking God to remember? Remember, please, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if my people are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the farthest places of the earth, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I have chosen to have my name dwell. Nehemiah is simply saying, God, remember we, we are at a point in our history where we need you to remember your covenant. We need you to remember your promise. You said if we sinned, if we were disobedient, and we were scattered into other nations under other foreign rulership, that you would bring us back if we humbled ourselves. God, remember the word that you've spoken. There's power in that prayer, friends. One of, one of the most convicting things to me as a dad when my kids were younger was, was they, they, they'd run up to me and I pro- usually at the busiest times I'm doing something, I, I don't want to be bothered. And they said, Dad, 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 will you play catch? I'm like, yeah, yeah, later. They said, no, no, you, you promised. You said. Can, can we go to the park? Can, can we go? You, you said, you promised we could do that. I'm like, you're right. I did. And so if I want to be a person of integrity, I've got to follow through with my word. And Nehemiah, like so many saints in the Old Testament and New Testament, came to God and said, God, remember. God, remember what you said. And God's free to answer that prayer however he wants. 
But that's a great place to start, praying in line with his will and his purpose as he's revealed it to us in Scripture. And and there's a third thing that gives us confidence in the place of prayer, not not just being connected to Jesus and not just being aligned with Scripture, but being right with God. Being right with God. All right, this is a hard one. This is the one that's not pleasant. This is the one we don't necessarily like. Let's look at 1 John 3, 21 and 22 again. Let's just study this for a second. So John says, dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, that that means if our heart doesn't condemn us before God. In other words, if we're we're not in sin, if, if, if we haven't, you know, if we're not walking in unconfessed sin and there's guilt in our life, then we can come to God with bold confidence. Let me read that again. If we don't feel guilty, if our heart isn't condemning us because of sin, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. Condition there, because we obey him and we do the things that please him. So let me begin with what that verse is not saying, okay? That verse is not saying that if you're not perfect, God won't answer your prayer. We know that's not true. All of us sin. None of us are perfect. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So he's not saying you've got to be perfect and sinless in order for God to answer your prayer. Neither is he saying that we now have to do good works in order for God to answer prayer. Hey, God, if I do all these good things, then maybe you'll answer my, my prayer, quid pro quo, right? I do this, God, you do that. that. That's nonsense. Everything that God gives us is by grace. We don't earn God's answers to prayer because we, we do good things, right? The third thing he's not saying is that if God doesn't answer the prayer the way you think or want him to, it doesn't necessarily mean there's sin in your life. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's some big, dark, sinful thing in your life, and that's why God isn't answering your prayer. God may be choosing to answer it in a way that you don't know about. Neither does this verse mean that if you are sinning and you're struggling in sin, that God's love somehow has changed toward you, that that God no longer loves you, that God no longer desires you, that God no longer has a purpose or plan for your life. Even in, in the midst of sin, God's love doesn't change toward us. So what does this mean? What is this verse about? We we have confidence in asking him because we obey him and we please him. It it means that we are are willing in our lives to give up anything in our life that's not pleasing to God. We we are willing to to live a life that's pleasing to him. And, And if there's something in our life that the Holy Spirit shows us that is not pleasing to God, we're willing to give that up. We're willing to do this. We're willing to not only confess our sin to God. Confessing your sin means you say to God, that was wrong and I'm sorry. Confession of sin means you're saying what God already says about that that sin, that it's wrong. So confession means, God, I did it, it's wrong, and I'm sorry. But there's stage two to repentance. It's not just confession. It's turning. It's a commitment to not do that anymore. It's a commitment to walk in obedience to God. So the Holy Spirit shows you that's wrong. You say, you're right, God, that is wrong. I confess that that's wrong, and I pray your forgiveness, and I'm going to turn. 
John's saying one of the conditions for confidence of answered prayer is a willingness to obey God and live life in a manner that's pleasing to him. So you have to ask yourself that question. Am am I living a life that's pleasing to God or am I I harboring an idol that I won't tear down? Am Am I walking in a sin that I won't get rid of? So if this verse is true, then how can we expect God to answer our prayers if we're constantly lying and being dishonest with people? Kids, if you're you're constantly lying and being deceptive and dishonest with your parents. Adults, if if you're lying to your spouse, if you're lying to your boss, if you're lying to people, if you're living a lie, how can you expect God to answer your prayer? If you continually view pornography in your life, how can you expect that God is going to answer your prayers? If you are sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your fiance regularly, how can you expect that God is going to honor that lifestyle and answer your prayer? Again, we're not talking about a a momentary lapse in judgment. We're not talking about, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have had that attitude. Oh, I just blew it. Not that. This is an ongoing lifestyle of something that you're unwilling to give up. How can we expect God to answer our prayers if we're living in bitterness and unwilling to forgive the people that have hurt us? transgressing the very command of Christ that said you need to forgive others as I've forgiven you. How can we expect God if we're not walking in obedience to him? If we're walking in a lifestyle of greed and materialism and not generosity with God's resource, how how can we expect that God's going to answer that prayer? This is not a salvation issue. This is not an issue of God, God doesn't, uh, if, we're, if we're struggling with addiction to sin or, or sin in the, that, that suddenly we're not saved, that's not the issue. We're talking about forfeiting the privilege of answered prayer. We're talking about there, there being a hindrance to God answering the prayer in your life because of a sin that you won't let go of, you won't get rid of. This is the confidence that we have if we obey him and our lives please him. So Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 3. In the same way, you husbands, give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together with her. She may be weaker physically than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers what? So what that means is your prayers could be hindered if you're dishonoring your spouse. If you're dishonoring one another with how you speak and how you treat each other, Peter's saying your prayers could be hindered. You you could remove yourself from the favor of God in, in that area. Here's what David said. David said, come and listen, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. Listen, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, another version, version says, if I would have regarded or kept quiet about it or not, not dealt with it, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have what? Listen. Well, John says if the Lord doesn't hear, if he doesn't listen, he's not going to answer that prayer. If I had not come clean, if I had not talked to the Lord about that area of my life, 
He wouldn't have listened. My prayers would be hindered. Praise God. He, he did pay attention to my prayer. Praise God. He did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love for me because David humbled himself and came to the Lord. So when you have a, a sin in your life that you're not willing to let go of, it's like having a blockage in an artery in your heart, your physical heart. It looks something like this. On the left is a, is a, a healthy artery. It's clean clear. There's no plaque buildup and the blood can flow freely through that artery to every part of your body. But on the right, that's, a, that's an artery that's plugged up and blocked with plaque buildup. And, and the more plaque buildup, the more constricted the heart valve or artery gets, the less blood can flow through the artery. And when we harbor sin in our life, it looks like that. And, and the blood that brings life isn't able to flow freely to every part of our body when there's a blockage. But Christ came, amen? Jesus came to do heart surgery. Jesus came to clean out the heart valves so that the life of God can flow freely in every part of our lives, so favor can be restored to our lives. So as you think about your life this morning, we're talking about confidence in the place of prayer. How can we have confidence that God's going to answer that? It begins with connectedness to Jesus. Are you connected to Christ? Do you have access to God the Father to even bring your requests to Him? Are your prayers aligned with the truth of Scripture? And are you living a life that's right with God? Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. If there's anyone here that you, you don't know Jesus Christ, you, you've just lived your life for yourself, and you want to make that commitment to, to connect to Christ, to surrender to him, would you pray this with me? Just say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. You don't have to tell me. I, I know that I'm guilty before you. Lord, I, I'm asking you now that you would forgive my sin. You suffered on the cross for me. Lord, would you forgive me right now? Would you come into my life and not only remove my sin, but give me the Holy Spirit to live a life of purity? Give me your grace, Lord. Save me. I, I, I surrender to you in this moment. And Lord, the, the rest of us this morning that are connected to you, would you remind us as we come to the place of prayer that because of the, the cross of Christ, the veil in the temple was torn, split. That, that we, through the, the blood of Christ and the righteousness of his garments, we can come into the very throne of grace to petition you, our loving Father. Remind us, O oh Lord, as we pray of your will that's been expressed in your word. Help us to pray consistently with what you've said is true. And Lord, help us to get a heart checkup. 
as we come before you this week, check our hearts, Lord. If there's any blockages, dear Lord, we ask forgiveness and cleansing in your holy name. Amen. A couple things as you, as you leave this morning. First of all, this is the Sunday we're going to receive a benevolent offering at the doors, no pressure. If you can give anything at the doors toward that, it helps lots of families that, that, that need help. The second thing is if you want prayer this morning for anything, maybe my sermon stirred something up in you or there's just other things in your life, we're going to have folks available to pray for you uh, right now. God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome day.